Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast, the official podcast of United Basketball Clinics, and presented by my good friends, Dr. Dish Basketball. I'm your host, Matt Smith. My hope is that as you listen to the podcast, you'll gain knowledge in culture building, leadership, and X's and O's so you can better lead your team. Now, let's grow the game together. Coach Dave Love has dedicated his coaching career to shooting. He's worked with several NBA teams, over a dozen NBA players, and coached in countries around the world. I'm looking forward to this deep dive into shooting as we talk about multiple aspects of shooting and how we as youth and high school coaches can use best practices as we help our players improve their shot. I want to welcome shooting coach Dave Love to the podcast. How you doing, coach? Very well. Thanks for having me on, Coach. I hope you're doing well. You're known as a shooting coach. You've worked with high school, professionals, NBA, WNBA. Like you, You've done the full gamut. What led you to being so passionate about the shooting aspect of the game and concentrating your focus on just shooting? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question, and I think the simple answer is I, I, as I was progressing through the early part of my career, I – focused on just doing more of the things that I loved. And there was a point where I I always kind of thought I wanted to be a shooting coach because my mentor, that was kind of the niche that he picked. And I loved the idea. Uh, And then there was a fork in the road where I thought, okay, maybe I can, maybe I can branch off and just be more of a general skills coach. But back before that was really even a thing, like it's, it's become a thing, but 20 years ago, it wasn't nearly what it is now. And I did a little bit of that and found I just didn't like it as much. And I wasn't as good at it, to, to be perfectly honest, but had I spent the time over the next five years, I would have obviously gotten better. But I just, uh, I didn't like it as much. And, uh, and I found that there was enough of a need for somebody that could just come in and correct a jump shot and help, uh, help a shooter, help a player make more shots. That that's what I wanted to do more of. Now, was there a specific moment or a summer or a point in time where you, where you're the shooting aspect of what you did kind of just took off and you were able to gain more clients? Like how did, how did the, it begin? Because I know now you're big on social media, uh, but you know, 15, 10 years ago, social media wasn't quite the thing. So is it, was it a word of mouth business? Was it just start locally? Um, it was word of mouth as far as my clinics. And I, I had uh, a great mentor who now himself, he's a, uh, an NBA shooting coach. And I consider him the best in the business and it's not even close. Um, but he was just always in my ear, giving me advice on what the next step of my career might be. And, and there were really sort of two sides of it. There was the clinic, uh, training side, and then there was the individual player side. And I always kind of looked at that individual player, a reasonable high level player, um, as like the gravy but my business was going to come from the clinics. And what I realized later on was that um, I wasn't seeing the, the potential of, um, of what could happen from just working with individually with higher level players. So I started off just volunteering with a university team here in my hometown in, in Canada. And, uh, and then one day my, my mentor, and when I say one day, I mean like seven years in doing this, uh, he phoned and said, Hey, expect a phone call from the, from the Phoenix Suns. I've recommended you for a job. And I didn't even think that would be possible. So, uh, to answer your question, I guess everything happened kind of slowly, um, through word of mouth on the clinic end, because you really didn't have any other advertising for a small business other than word of mouth at that time. Um, and uh, and then just gradually over years, uh, over the, the uh, for my my personal professional development, working with higher and higher level players. What age do you believe is the right age to start working with a player? Because I, again, I'm not a shooting coach, but I had a, a parent contact me 
not too long ago and say, well, you work with my four-year-old on their shot. And I was thinking, seems a little young. And I really would feel guilty taking your money, getting out there and shooting on what a six foot goal or whatnot. So I declined, but I'm thinking that's too young. But in, you know, in, in the States, boy, we'll hire an individual skills coach at four years old for your pitching or shooting or golf or whatever. That's just, unfortunately, that's the, that's the trend where we're at. But what do you think is the right age where you start looking at a kid or is it an age or more of their physical development? Uh, I do have an age, but it's sort of a soft rule where um, my age is uh, sort of around the age of 11. Okay. That I find at that point, they start to gain the maturity to be able to focus on something and, and have a little humility and a little self-awareness. Plus they get the physical strength to be able to do these things well. But my daughter, my youngest daughter is now 10 and I've been planting seeds with her for a couple of years. So I guess the cab or the, amendment to the rule is that the you can start younger you should probably should start younger but you just have to be more patient and so when you get the parent with the four-year-old who says you know he he still shoots with two hands we've been working on it for weeks (laughs) and he still shoots with two hands there needs to be some awareness that well yeah because he's four and the basketball is bigger than his uh his body so um just be aware of that and patient and you can again you can plant seeds with that four-year-old you can give them ideas you can do have them do little things that will pay off 10 years down the road but the results may not come uh immediately with younger players so uh 11 is kind of my age and even within that um i'll focus on sort of lower body with 10 11 12 year olds um, working on upper body mechanics, the part of the shot that we associate is more of the shooting motion. Um, still a little bit, but more in the planting of seeds and, uh, and more so that when we get there, uh, when they're kind of in that 13, 14, 15 year old range, they, they already have some ideas and, uh, and have a better fighting chance. Right. So, you know, you, you get a group of 11 and 12 year olds and you're working with them, like I said, if you're working with a uh, high school or professional level, there's probably more specific things you work on. Obviously, they're more physically mature, more mentally mature. But you get that 11, 12-year-old. What, what are two or three things you're, you're looking at to plant those seeds? Um, I want to make sure that they understand the, the idea of simplicity. And unfortunately, with a lot of kids, they see the highlights on TV and they see great players making tough shots. And they think to be a great shooter, you have to be able to make tough shots. And that's, it's not wrong, but it's not fully right either. To be a great shooter, you need to be able to consistently make open shots at a high rate. And so it's not, can you make the occasional tough one? Can you always make the easy one? That's the really the definition of a great shooter. Um, So making sure that they start to understand that and they get out of the mentality of wanting to do the flashy things and just wanting to do simple things in difficult situations. Uh, Then physically, uh, I would want to make sure that they they understand the two connections um, that they have in their shot, how their feet connect to the floor and how their hands connect to the basketball and understand how to keep those as simple as possible and uh, and get those working for them as much as possible. Th- those would be the areas in which I'd start. Okay, no, that, that's really good. A, a couple of key pointers. I love what you talked about being simple because you're right. A lot of players work on that really difficult level 10 difficulty shot. But in the course of an offense, if that's what you're getting on offensive possession after offensive possession as, as me being a head coach, I'm not a very good coach. We don't understand shot selection. And yeah, you're right. You want to hit that tough shot, but your career is not going to be based around that tough shot. That's just the highlight film that people may, you know, think about or see on sports center or the end of the year highlight players. They want to be able to hit the, the tough shot when the shot clocks at two. Right. And that's the only option that we have left. 
uh, we don't necessarily want to be shooting that tough shot with the shot clock at 12. We still have 12 seconds to find a better, uh, a better shot for our team. And with, with all the individual training that goes on, and I think there's, we've lost focus on the, this is a team game. And, and it's, it's not go out and shoot tough shots because you're the only option. We've got an entire team of people and 24 seconds or 30 seconds or 35 seconds, whatever your shot clock is, to, uh, to be able to search out that, that best shot for us, not for you. Right. And this just leads me down another path I thought of as you were saying that is so many players are told at a young age, don't shoot or you can't shoot. And so then you're right. And Georgia just voted to go to a shot clock. We're going to start the shot clock in 2022. So I'll definitely understand that late in the shot clock action more. But so many kids are told you can't shoot, don't shoot, play defense, pass, rebound, take a charge. And it's so right they're going to defer when they're wide open to a kid who may be guarded and because he's the kid who's supposed to take the shot. And that's just a mindset that we as coaches have got to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, we have to remember what our role is. And especially with youth players, they're far from a finished product and our role is their development. And how is anybody ever going to develop when they're told, don't ever do this, don't shoot? You're not, if you're telling a 15 year old that they can't shoot, then, uh, then wh- when does development come in? When, when do they have a chance to grow? Um, and don't get me wrong, at a professional level, maybe as stringent as, as anybody about defining what is a good shot for each player, but that's a professional level. This is right. where like results matter, games are on the line, and money is on the line with youth. That's not the the kids don't even twelve year olds don't remember what whether they won or lost six weeks ago. They remember whether they had fun, and uh, and that should be fun and focus should really be the or fun and development should be the focus right. of what we're trying to do, especially with those kids. No, I, I agree. I mean, yesterday, you know, I'm with my team in the gym working and we're working on some offense and I uh, got some rising ninth graders I've never worked with before up to seniors in the gym. And I'm having to tell these kids, hey, on the dribble penetration kick out, take the open shot, take the open shot, take the open shot. And it's just a mindset that we have to develop. And, and you're right. It's about it starts at a young age, because if you tell a kid when he's eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, hey, you can't shoot, you can't shoot. Well, don't get frustrated with him when he doesn't hit shots. Because you've been telling him over year after year, well, you can't shoot. Well, that leads me into kind of the next uh, thought I had was, and this is kind of a broad question, but what are some common mistakes that you've seen when coaches or even maybe parents or work with their kids? Yeah, that's a, a big one is not having a narrow enough focus in what you're working on. And the example I always give is uh, I play a little golf. I'm not a good golfer necessarily, but I do like to play. And, uh, and I went out to the driving range one day and I would always try and take my uh, time at the driving range at the stall next to somebody giving a lesson. Just so as a coach, I could hear other people coaching and maybe dis- uh, discover a way that they phrase something that I could use or overhear a drill that, uh, that I could tweak to make a basketball drill. And, uh, and so on this one particular day, I'm I'm listening in on a lesson that this uh, this older fella is giving a middle-aged woman who's obviously very new to the game, and with every swing he gave her new advice on what to focus on. And so she would take a swing and she would top the ball, and he would say, "Okay, you get you got to keep your head down. You're lifting your head." And then she would focus on keeping her head down, and uh, and would block one off to the right, and he'd say, "Okay, but you didn't get your weight over onto your left foot. You got stuck back on your right foot." And so then she would focus on getting the weight onto her left foot, and then something else would happen, and he'd tell her to correct that. And she never got time to just work on one thing and actually get better at it. It was just constantly a new, uh, constantly hitting the reset button and yeah. working on a new thing. And so I learned in that moment, I got to give players time to actually make mistakes and, and have a whole bunch of reps to try and get better at something before I, I move on. So pick, pick something. And then my other advice would be to 
hold yourself and hold the player accountable to actually doing them. So I just recently about uh, four or five months ago, went and watched a young college coach who was giving a, a lesson to a female college player. And he said that what they were working on was trying not to, she got in the habit of catching the ball and then hopping. So she would catch the ball with the, her feet on the ground and then to sort of hop to engage her legs. And uh, it's number one, a travel. Uh, it might not always be called, but it is. And uh, and then it's inefficient. And so that's what they were supposedly working on, was not using a hop. And we can definitely argue later on whether that's the best way to go or not. We can talk about that. But um, he wanted a hop and he, uh, and wanted the, the feet down early. Well, through, through the entire workout, there wasn't a shot where... Uh, she actually got her feet set before the catch. So in this entire workout, they had their single focus, which is great, but there's no accountability to meeting that. And once, okay, you shot 10 reps and haven't done it correctly, we got to simplify the environment. Like you're capable of catching the ball before your hands, but just something is happening within your, your thought process or the muscle memory that is taking over that's not allowing to, you to do it. So simplify, slow down or move in or be more deliberate, but change, change what is happening. Hold yourself accountable to actually building the habit that you say you're building and, uh, and then be willing to step back and look at it and say, am I really doing what I say I'm, I'm Am I really working on what I say I'm working on, or am I just saying that but going through the motions? I think those are the two biggest things. No, that's good. So if, if I hear you correctly, if, if you have a player that has three flaws in their shooting, go in and focus on one when you're working them out. Or maybe maybe work on that one for 50 shots, then the other one, and build them. But don't walk in and say, okay, your, your, your feet are wrong, your hips are turned, your head, your head's moving, whatever it may be, and don't overwhelm them with information. Yeah, you don't want to create paralysis by analysis. But yeah. at the end of the, three can be three's the upper end of a, a manageable number because you can sequence them. Uh, I'll do with players. I'll slow them down and just say, okay, first thing before the catch, like as soon as you see the ball being passed to you, you got to get your feet wide. And then we got on the catch, we've got to, let's say, well, it, we've got to get the ball on the shooting hand side of our body, not letting the ball come up our, our non-shooting hand side. And then as you're lifting, we've got our guide hand coming off the basketball. So if I'm doing a slow moving drill, I might give them three, but in a sequence where they have, this is your pre-thought or pre-shot thought. This is the beginning of your shot. And this is the middle of your shot. Um, and and then you kind of judge, okay, is three too much? Do I need to simplify that down to two? Do I need to take that down to one? Um, can, can I package two of those together to make, even though they're two ideas, can I make them one? And I guess possibly the most difficult part is, like you say, there's three, you say the coach recognizes three issues with the shot. You've got to rank which one is most important to focus on because that player may can only handle two. You're going to overwhelm them with three. For the whole season, you may focus on two. So you've got to figure out what two are the most important that you're going to focus on. And that can be difficult as well for a coach to, to rank them most important to least important. Right, because there are a whole bunch that, you know, we have all these ideas of theoretical shooting form and what it should look like. But then we've got non-theoretical, practical people. And so, like, does that, does the habit number three, uh, I know it doesn't look right, but does it matter? Like, it, are they able to, can I get away with them just being themselves? And, and, and those are the kind of debates that you're constantly having with it and that will never go away. You're constantly debating is this a battle worth fighting or is comfort more important than uh, theoretical perfection? Yeah. And I'm like you, I love the golf analysis. I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a good golfer. I shouldn't have used the word good while I'm saying the word golf. I mean, I'm a bad golfer, but I read a book by Hank Haney one time and he was talking about the whole goal is to get the, the club face square when you make contact with the ball. So if someone's telling you to work on your feet and your hips, if it doesn't help you get the club face 
square, then don't worry about it. And the same thing about the shot. Is that something that they can live with and still be a good shooter? And you focus on the other, other two, other two issues. And so, as you mentioned, kind of ranking and working with the kids and maybe giving them one or two things. Is that um, also your layered shooting drills? I've heard you talk about layering your drills. It, it, they, they kind of fit together. So when, when I talk about layering drills, what I mean is, um, okay, you have a certain way of, of shooting the ball right now, and it's, caught, it's working against you um, as much or more than it's working for you. You have some bad habits. They're putting you in bad positions. So what we need to do is we need to correct the positions and to correct the moves out of those positions. We need to reorganize the, the sequ- sequence in which your muscles fire. And so my first goal is to create as simple as an environment as needed to let you learn to fire the muscles in a different sequence. If I say to you, hey, you're gonna play uh, LeBron James in one-on-one, and I want you to land with your feet wider, push evenly with your legs, and get your guide hand off the basketball, you're probably not gonna do those three things very well because you're so worried about Mr. LeBron James. That environment is too hard of a situation to work on those micro skills. So there are times, even with professional players, where I simplify so much that we get eight feet from the basket, stationary, with as much time as they want to focus on putting their hand in the correct position on the ball and then make the correct move out of that position. Then, as they get better at that isolated skill, then I can't just now expect you, okay, you're doing a much better job getting your hand underneath the basketball. Now go do it when playing one-on-one against Mr. LeBron James. That's too big of a jump. So the layering of drills is now learning to take this new sequence of, of firing muscles or this new habit and apply, and apply it in progressively more difficult situations until you're able to apply it into a game situation. And so I apply layers, I add layers in about seven different ways. Um, You can take an isolated habit and you can make it more challenging by doing it farther out. You can do it a little bit faster. You can add movement. You can add catches. You can add dribbles. You can add defenders and you can add decisions. And you're just constantly adding and subtracting those different things to find the appropriate level of challenge for where the player's micro skills are like in in what environment how simple do how much do i need to simplify it to get them to fire their muscles differently and then and how much complicated to get them to be able to be able to eventually do that in a game so when you're working with a player and you're using one of those seven layers before you go up to like the next level of difficulty, is it based on a percentage they make? Is it based on the look, the feel obviously makes and the percentages matter, but how do you decide, okay, you're doing it stationary. Now we're going to add a little movement or we're going to back you up five feet. Is it eight out of 10? Is it, uh, what, what is it? How do you gauge when to do that? Trial and error uh, and experimentation and just, uh, yes, I do. I go by, uh how it looks yes i do uh do i go by the results yes i do do i have a hard fast number what the result needs to be like whether it's eight out of ten or six out of ten no i don't but it's just okay you're 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 getting the hang of this new sequencing um how much can i complicate this and still have you do it right and I'm constantly taking two steps forward, then one step back. No, one step back wasn't uh, enough. I need to go back another step. I need to uh, add layers in this way instead of the way that I tried it first. Okay, good. Now you're able to do it. Let's try it in a little bit harder situation. Um, It's constant trial and error and accountability and application. And, uh, and, 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 what I'm really working on right now as a coach is I've tried to be very linear and I've tried to really control what process of applying these skills looks like in a very neat orderly fashion. And then 
players to be able to do it in a complicated, messy game. And so what I'm trying to do is just release more control over the neatness of the practice, allow the practice to be a little messier, uh, because hopefully that is going to um, help players trans new skill into the messy game. No, no, that that's really good. And I think that I guess it, I'm thinking when you talk this, I'm thinking the phrase muscle memory. Is that what a lot of it is? You watch a player and it, it just becomes natural and they may utter the phrase like, okay, this, I feel it now. Like they've got to communicate with you. At some point it's got to become comfortable for them to change the shot. Cause that's what I, when I talk to players about shooting, um, I tell them it's kind of a lot like, and if I'm wrong on this, please set me straight because I've probably been doing this wrong for 20 years. Is I tell the kids it's a lot like lifting weights. When you go in, if you want to, let's say you want to stop using your thumb on your left hand and your right-handed shooter, it's a lot like lifting weights. You're going to go in that first time you lift, you'll be so sore the next time you go, you can't lift as much. And then you can't lift as much. And again, and then you'll kind of drop down, then you'll build back up. I think shooting is a lot like that. Am I right on that at all? hundred percent. Yeah. I give a different kind of analogy, but it's the same a, a basic idea where like players will say, I'll put them in a new position. They what I think is a better position. And they'll say, Oh man, that's really uncomfortable. And I'll say, right. yeah, you're right. It is yeah. uncomfortable. Now, does that mean it's wrong? And, and we'll do a little deep dive into it. Well, where I'll make them say like, okay, why is, why is it uncomfortable? Well, the answer is I haven't right. done it before. Okay. So how do we make it comfortable by doing it over and over and over again? Right. And the only reason that the other thing, the wrong thing is comfortable now is because you've done it a lot. So we just got to go through that hard work again of being in the better position uh, often enough that it becomes comfortable. So I always steer away from, I'll acknowledge the word comfortable but i always try and steer away from the perception that comfortable means right no I, i'm with you 100 percent because you know if i get a kid i've never worked with before and he's 15 or 14 you're right what i may teach you or show you is going to be completely uncomfortable because you've have 10 20 000 reps from early on middle school church ball whatever you played and now i'm asking you to do something different it's like anything else swing a golf club swing a baseball bat you want the quarterback to throw differently you've got to change that muscle memory but only happens if the player's committed yeah yeah that uh the analogy i love or it's not an analogy but um players start off um unconsciously incompetent they aren't great at something and they're not aware of it and then through coaching, we make them consciously incompetent. They aren't great at something, but now they're aware that they're not right. great at it. And then they become consciously competent. They can do it right, but they really have to think about it. And after a certain, after reps and reps and reps, that hopefully becomes unconsciously competent. You can do it right and you don't have to think about it. And all of that, that's just work. When you're working with a player, do you do you ever ask them? I said they missed four in a row. Do you ever say, "Hey, do you what do you think is wrong with your shot?" Do you want the player again? Well, a good player should be able to recognize something. Maybe you know they pushed off with a hand too much. Their feet were narrow, but you want them to get to a point where they can analyze and figure out what is wrong with their shot. I respect my friends at Doctor Dish as much as anyone in the game. Thankfully, they've come on board to sponsor our podcast and offer our listeners an exclusive Dr. Dish discount when you mention this podcast. What makes the Dr. Dish so unique? First, it's the best and most user-friendly shooting machine on the market, period. Second, your players can use custom training workouts and receive real-time feedback as they train. And if you have one of those other shooting machines sitting in the corner collecting dust, you can trade it in for up to a $1,500 discount on a new Dr. Dish. Yes, $1,500 off a new Dr. Dish. Remember, mention this podcast and take advantage of your discount today. Yeah, that, that's ultimately my goal is to, uh, to, uh, to make myself redundant. Is that the, yeah, the, uh, I want to, I want to coach myself out of a job basically eventually where I, I do such a great job that this player doesn't need me anymore. 
And what I don't do is build a reliance on me uh, because I'll never be standing on the floor in a game with a player. So I do need to teach them in the beginning, but like you're talking about, eventually uh, within the first week or so with a professional player, I start to ask a lot more of, hey, what did you feel? And I may guide that where I may be, I may be asking what did they feel uh, to make them aware of something that they're doing that they might not be aware of uh, and try and bring their attention to it. Um, so it might be a loaded question in the beginning, but it, absolutely after several months, once a player is educated and they're starting to really understand their shot, what they're feeling is far more valuable than what I'm not feeling anything. I'm not touching the basketball. I'm not shooting the shot. So I want to know what they, they, they feel. So the, I think that's a great question that should be asked a little bit early and then increasingly more as a player becomes more accomplished. Because if they don't tell us, we'll never know what they're feeling. Right. No, absolutely. No, that, that's good. Okay. I'm going to talk about ARC with you for a second. Yeah, there's, there's, there's debate on this. Uh, there's companies out there that they think they figured out the proper ARC. Do you believe there's a correct ARC for the shot i mean obviously when a player is strong enough to shoot it correctly i don't mean little you know from let's say 15 16 on you know people say it's that 45 46 47 degree when i was a kid everyone said 60 degrees because don meyer said that one time and whatever don meyer said we believed so or do you think the art can fluctuate if a kid is obviously 6 8 and he elevates a lot on his shot versus you know a 5 7 kid who shoots flat-footed well, and I love all these kind of questions because this really gets into it. Like, we should have our theory, we have the reality. And so uh, the people with these companies, I think they are correct that there is an ideal arc uh, for a theoretical basketball player. And I think they say between 43 and 47 as the entry angle. And we can't confuse that with the, that's not the angle of their follow through or the angle that they're pushing the ball. That's the angle of the ball's entrance into the rim between 43 and 47, I think is what they say. So as a shooting coach of practical, actual, non-theoretical people, then I want to make sure that they have enough arc that the the target is relatively big. And I didn't understand. I was a little naive myself um, when learning from these these companies. They kept saying, okay, between 43 and 47. And I said, like, I don't understand how 49 is worse than 47. Like that just gives you more uh, more surface area to fit the ball through. And it took me two years to wrap my brain around the the idea that when you're shooting at a high arc above that 47 if you miss your if there's a little bit of variability that ends up being a lot of difference in distance so if a player is used to shooting at 52 and 52 would be the correct angle at the amount of force that they're applying to the ball if they accidentally hit 53 that might be three or four inches difference in distance. Whereas if you're, they're intending to shoot at 45, but they only get 40 or they get 46. Did I make it bigger before? There's a one degree different. That may only be, yeah. Then at, at that mid range, that 43 uh, to 47, the difference in the distance isn't as pronounced. It's only, it's less than an inch. So too high does make the, uh, the distance difficult to control. All of this being said, I want, as a shooting coach, I want a player shooting it high enough to, be, um, to, get, to give them a, a large target. And then I want them shooting with consistent enough arc. So if you're lucky enough to have the NOAA or the RSPCT system, I, I think that's what the other one is, uh, is called, that measures arc. As long as they're consistent with it, then they're great. Um, if they're 54 on one shot and then 44 on the next, we got problems. If they're constantly in the 54, 53, 55 range, and then great, they're consistent. I'll happily live with that. Now, if they're consistently 40, or sorry, 37, uh, 38, 39, 
that I'll work on. You're consistent, but at, with a very small target. So sorry about the long-winded answer. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And what I talk to my kids about is, is shooting depth. Like you want to shoot it deep in the cylinder. And, you know, again, the terminology is popular. We talk about the back of the rim makes because, you know, you can technically, if I, if I shoot, you know, three inches to the right, but I'm deeper in the cylinder, I'm still going to make that shot as opposed to I shoot it shallow. I'm going to hit front right of the rim. So there's a lot of things to think about with that. But I, we talk about, you know, trying to shoot it deep in the cylinder. And when we, when we shoot, uh, if the ball hits the front of the rim and just trickles over, we, we don't count that as a make. Just getting that habit of a swish or back of the rim, which I know um, is popular. So we're just going through a, several quick topics here, if that's okay with you. Okay. So you're telling me you want me to be a less long-winded. No, 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 and... no, be, be, <laughs> no, 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 be long-winded. I, I want really good, deep, deep answers here. Sorry. I don't want to. Okay. Okay. Form shooting. I've seen form shooting from two feet from the rim to seven feet from the rim to start at the free throw line. Again, we're talking about players who are strong enough to get it there and shoot with one hand. Um, a kid wants to walk in to the gym where a coach has a team, you have a team of 15 kids. You want them to walk in the gym and start grooving their shot or whatever terminology you use. What would you have them do? And for how long would you have them kind of groove or build that shot to get ready for the practice? Everybody will probably have a different length of time. I was a good shooter, not great, but I was a good shooter. And, uh, and, but I knew it took me longer to warm up than most people that I wasn't a guy who would walk in, shoot five shots, and then be ready to play. I had friends like that, but I wasn't one of those guys. I needed, I needed to be the first one in the gym, and I needed 10 minutes before we started and, and a bunch of shots. So know what you need, uh, and everybody might have a different amount of time. Uh, when you're doing form shooting, start at a distance where you can fully extend through your shot and uh, shoot a realistic shooting motion and then know what you're working on. So I've got a blog on coachdavelove.com, uh, and one of the topics is sort of the common form shooting mistakes that I see. And, uh, and some of them are things like, just I, I don't like players tucking their hand behind their back when they do form shooting. I like the idea of the accountability of tucking your hand behind your back, but as soon as you tuck your hand behind your back, your shoulders tend to rotate. Now you're no longer in your natural shooting position. You're practicing a skill you're never gonna use. So uh, have, have your hand out off the basketball, absolutely. That's a good thing to, to hold yourself accountable to, but do it while being in actual game shooting positions. Um, I don't like extending the ball way out with one hand way in front of your body and then bring it back. Again, that's not a game body, body position. All you're learning to do is expose the ball to the, uh, the defense. Um, then I think the biggest thing about form shooting that we miss is applying that whatever we're learning, whatever we're working on in the form shooting setting, how do you apply that into a game? And we tend to have two sides of the river. We have form shooting on one side and, and then game shooting on the other side. And we're expecting players to be able to jump across and we get mad when they can't, but this river is really, really wide. And so over the next few minutes of war, get a few shots of forum shooting, focusing on whatever you need to work on, but then apply that into slightly more difficult situation, like add a layer and lay a stepping stone across the river and get a few shots there and then apply that in by adding a layer and making the, the situation a little bit more complicated. So instead of trying to go from zero to 60, miles an hour, let's go from zero to 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 and apply all the way along. Um, so the application, I think it's the, the biggest part of um, getting something out of form shooting. Okay. What about footwork? You talked about the hop. There's the one, two step. You may call it something different. How wide do you think a player's feet should be? Do you like a slight hip turn? Do you like completely square? Let's talk about building it the, from the base up. I want wide enough. I want our habits, uh, the players' habits to be um, wide enough that they're going to be able to stop energy in the most difficult situations. 
So what I don't want to do is say, okay, at standing at the free throw line, we're not really off balance. We're not really creating any bad energy. So your feet can be, uh, the insides of your feet can be two inches apart because no bad energy is being created. But then as we start to shoot open catch and sh shoot shots, then, okay, wait, a now we got more negative energy, not a lot yet. So they're going to need to be five inches apart now. And then as you start to move, we're going to be ahead. They're going to have to be more 12 inches apart. And then as you get it like really starting to move and you got the defender on lean, leaning on you, then they're going to have to be 16 inches. I don't want to have different shots for different situations. I want to prepare habits for the worst case scenario and be able to execute them even in the best case scenario. So prepare for a lot of energy and then you've got stability even when you don't need it. Now, the measure that I use is the width of a player's hips. I want to be able to see their hips or their feet wide enough that the insides of their shoes are, uh, are, are wide enough that they could sit down without their hips touching the insides of their shoes. And a lot of players and coaches will correctly say, that's wider than most people. And I will say, yep, because most of us prepare for the mid, like prepare for the semi-difficult situation. And then when we're faced with real game shots, this is why we're, we're, we don't shoot well. And part of the reason why we don't shoot well in games is we don't practice for games. We right. practice for comfortable, then things get uncomfortable and all of a sudden our, our form can't handle it. So I do go a little bit wider. Um, now you talked about opening the hips a little bit or is to me, when you say that sort of that goes along the lines of, should we point our toes at the rim or should we point our, or should we turn? Is that Right. Should I aim my toes at, at 10 o'clock if I'm a right-handed shooter or 11 o'clock, or should I be a little more? You know, some coaches teach like almost perfectly square. Yeah. I would be a theoretically teach perfectly square kind of person. And here's the reason why, and here's the sort of the amendment to that rule. So what I want is energy created up in the air and at the target. and. Uh, and so if a player points their feet at the target and then they rock up onto their toes, their center of gravity is going to be moving up and at the target, which means their hand will be moving up and at the target. Now, if they point their feet at, we'll say, 1030 on a 45-degree angle, and they rock up onto their toes, their center of gravity will be moving slightly to the left. They will be, because they're getting up onto their toes, they will be moving slightly to the left, which means their hand will be moving slightly to the left while trying to shoot the ball forward. Now, when you're just talking about like a free throw rocking up onto your toes, we're talking about maybe an inch. So it's not that big a deal. We're creating negative energy, but it's a very, very small amount of, of negative energy. Then when we get into a game players tend to jump in the direction that their feet are pointed and now if you watch most players that where they start if they point their feet to the left and where their fin feet finish most players end up jumping a foot a foot and a half yeah uh, and forward and so you can argue that okay we want alignment of certain i don't teach alignment of the elbow and the shoulder or the hip or anything like that uh, that's not just part of what I teach. I'm not saying it's wrong. Um, but we jumping to the left, I think we'd all agree that doesn't help a player shoot the ball forward. So I would want to try and minimize that as much as I possibly can. And, uh, and how I do it is by trying to teach square, even though that might not be what you end up with. Um, Jeff Curry is a great example. Does he turn his feet when he shoots through? Absolutely. Is, is, he, is he the best three-point shooter in the world? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. But look at, him at, look at him at the free throw line. Okay? He's not making 42% of his free throws anymore. He's now making 92. And he points the feet at the target because it's a little uh, positive energy. So just being aware of that. And, and so you can look at players that I work with, and, and I've just told you I would teach them to point their feet at the, uh, the target. I don't always get that. I don't always get the perfection that I'm seeking because the game is difficult, but just understand how 
what we're teaching affects what happens in a, in a game necessarily. And to me, jumping to the left doesn't help the player shoot the ball straight. Yeah. So you, you keep coming back and talking about, you know, when that player shoots a free throw. So is the free throw kind of the most perfect form of what the shot should look like? So if, if my shooting from a wing three is completely different than how I shoot a free throw, obviously there's going to be some differences. The defense is coming at me. I may want to elevate and so on, but, I sh- my free throw should be the shot I'm trying to mimic most spots on the floor. Well, the, yeah, the, the short answer to your question, yeah, that's kind of the idea that I go on. The free throw is a reasonable distance shot. Like it's not so close that uh, that it's unrealistic and it's not so far away that it's too difficult uh, where we have time to do exactly what we intend. We control all the the very so whatever we do there i hope our jump our hope our open jump shots look similar to that okay now we may need to generate a little bit more power so instead of keeping my feet off the on the floor i i let that power flow so it's a variable but it's a variable that creates power that is needed so uh, i do that um then as like everything we should be working to keep we should be working to keep our free throws as simple as possible, and then we should be working to keep our uh, shots within games as simple as possible. Therefore, they should look similar. And if we're building habits that cause differences between that, then are we really helping make shots, or are we are we just potentially adding power but sacrificing accuracy? What about eyes? Am I watching the ball, or am I going to keep my eyes locked on my target? on the rim oh man you're you've got all the hot uh, all the hot debates and these are fantastic because i think again all these things come back to what do i i tend to over teach um simple knowing that people are going to uh slip away from perfection i'm not going to get perfection i'm going to try and teach it but i'm not going to get it so okay I would teach a player to focus on the rim throughout their shooting motion. Um, If I do that, what is the downside of it? Their gaze is on their target the the entire time. They're focused on their target. There is no real downside. If I say to them that, hey, Steph Curry looks up at the ball at the apex, what advantage am I gaining by the balls already out of my hand and now I'm going to peek up at the ball. What advantage am I gaining? None as far as like the make of the shot. I may gain an advantage on, I've already, I know I've missed the shot and I'm going to figure out where the rebound is. There is some, but as far as making the shot, no advantage gain. What is the potential detriment of teaching a player to look up at the, the ball? The potential detriment is they start to look earlier. And and the head movement and it yeah and, or just looking up at the target before the ball's even out of your hands and people say well that would never happen well i can name three nba players who do it i don't want to name them personally but there are three guys i can show you pictures of who are shooting free throws the ball is still in their hand and they're now looking at the ball and uh and so you just have to be aware of okay I might overteach things, but I have to make sure I don't underteach. Like I don't steer players toward accidentally towards a detrimental thing. Right. And I've always taught keep your eyes on the target. And one phrase I hear myself saying a lot these days is complete the shot. You know, I've got kids who want to, they'll start backpedaling when the ball's in the air, they'll start, take a sidestep. They'll, it's like complete your shot. Don't worry about the rebound. We're not following our shot. Like just finish the shot, land land with a solid base. See if you're balanced. Hold your follow through. Your head still, and but there and there's so much movement. If you're thinking about backpedaling, and the ball's reaching its pinnacle, then your movement's changing in your shot before you even release it. Right, right, right. And I 100% agree with you. I remember myself being a kid. And like that is such a great feeling when you shoot a shot and you know it's in and you're already backpedaling, but then you look so dumb when it doesn't go in. And, uh, and so all 
Hitler invent, in, uh, invincible. They never think that the bad thing is going to happen to them. And so we kind of have to teach them that. Hand placement on the ball. Um, I know you've talked to, and if I'm, I believe I'm right here, I've heard you speak index finger in the middle of your hand, middle of the basketball, that affects your elbow. So instead of talking about elbow in all this type of stuff, it's about your hand placement that affects your elbow. Correct. Yeah. Uh, now the index finger is subject to change, uh, depending on how a player's hand is built. I default to index finger just because of, of the tens of thousands of players that I've measured in clinics all around the world and all the probes I've worked with and all the college players I've worked with. 90% of players, if they take a correct grip, a correct wide grip with their thumb out wide, uh, 90% of those players, the index finger is the middle of their grip. Not everyone. So we do need to make some people will find that the space in between their index finger and their middle finger is the center of their grip because they have an inflexible thumb or a shorter thumb or really long fingers. So we may find a split grip is the middle of some people's hands. Nobody will find that the distance from the tip of their middle finger to the tip of their thumb is the same as tip of the middle finger to the tip of their pinky. Like that's for most of us, a gigantic uh, difference. So know what the middle of your hand is and, and then work to get that underneath the middle of the ball by the set point. Then uh, the whole elbow thing, saying get your elbow in isn't wrong. It's not bad, but it doesn't fully get to what truly matters because your elbow is not touching the basketball. And saying get your elbow in is like saying the pool cue has to be aligned with the white ball, eight ball, and the target. And the only shots that you can make are in pool are the straight on shots. Well, that's not true. Uh, those are the easier shots. We make those at a higher rate, but it's not, the pool cue doesn't need to be on the line. The contact point between the cue ball and the eight ball has to be correct. And our contact point as basketball players is where our hand is touching the basketball. So the alignment of whatever's the middle of your hand with the target line has to be correct. Not that your elbow has to be in. Kid Gilchrist does an unbelievable job getting his elbow in. He does too good of a job because he's now in out of position in the opposite direction that most people end up out of uh, position, but it's the same idea. It's the angle of the finger at that set point that should really matter, not, uh, not the elbow, although they are related. Okay. No, that's good. That's really good. Help me explain that a little better when I'm, you know, uh, talking to kids. All right. One thing I see a lot with players is they'll, They'll have the ball, they'll catch it. It'll go, let's say, in the middle of their belly or maybe even off their left hip. And they don't bring it over to straighten it up. Before, in, in the process of shooting, they're straightening the shot up. How do you guide a player terminology to, to get that basketball, their hand under it or on it, so that, and they shoot it in a straight where you're not trying to straighten it up, trying to straighten it up in the midst of your shot? Right. And, and, explaining that like why to the kids in in that way is going to be helpful like okay do we want to have to worry about straightening up our own shot in the middle of our shooting motion while a defender is trying to make that difficult for us too or we want to build the habits of keeping that as simple as we possibly can the defender is going to do what their thing is but let's not do that to ourselves uh, and so what you're talking about, just to make sure I explain it, make sure we're talking about the same thing. If the ball drifts over on the non-shooting hand side of a player's body. Correct. It's now impossible to get your shooting hand underneath the middle of the ball. So as you're lifting the ball to your set point and potentially even beyond your set point, you're still not on the middle of the ball. Therefore, the ball is not going to go straight until the moment. Hopefully you get into position there. That's really hard to do. It's much easier to get the ball sort of, I would teach in the middle, but the reality is it's probably just a little bit to the shooting hand side of the middle um, and where we're, our hand is on the middle of the basketball all the way through the shooting motion. Now we're not having to set up that rotation as we're shooting. It's done before we start the shooting motion. Now, again, this is in a perfect world, which shooting yeah. in the game is the perfect world, but it's there habits are their habits 
working to keep their shots simple or are their habits working to make their shot more complex? No, that's really good. And, and again, those are the five or six things I had listed. I want, I want to hit you with No, tell, tell the listener, how can, how can people connect with you through social media website? Give, give your information about how a coach can connect with you. Uh, on social media, I'm at coach Dave love on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and those are the two that I use the most. I haven't branched into TikTok or, uh, or Snapchat <laughs> or any of these. Yeah, me yet. neither. So I'm old school and I go, uh, Instagram for pictures and videos and then Twitter for, uh, is more of that. Um, uh, and then on coachdavelove.com is my newsletter sign up. You can, uh, you can check out, like I've got uh, 40 emails programmed to go out over the course of a year teaching these kind of little, my feelings on these kind of little uh, topics that we've discussed today. Uh, a deep dive into, like you can choose now, do you want to learn more about balance, why that matters, how to get it, uh, how our body affect our balance, or do you want to learn about arc, or do you want to learn about guide hand? And when you select one of those topics, then you go into a bit of a deeper dive about how to uh, to improve those skills. So in all, there's a ton of information that I send out, plus information on, on any clinics that I run. And I'm starting to now use YouTube a little bit more to share longer form video ideas. Um, and, uh, and so you can find out all of the stuff that I put out there, which is a lot of free stuff uh, through the newsletter on coachdavelove.com. And speaking of clinics, you know, Coach Love was, uh, I was blessed to have him speak at the Hoosier Gym Clinic um, last year. Unfortunately, all the clinics this year aren't going to happen. We'll hopefully kick back up next year. But for, if you don't mind for a second, just talk about your experience at the Hoosier Gym. What a great facility, the heartland of Indiana. What did you think about that clinic? And, um, you know, just talk about your experience if you don't mind. Um. Oh, this is going to be so weird because like you start to talk about this and like my eyes are welling up with tears a little bit. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not such a softy that I'm near crying, but it was, it's an emotional, it was an emotional day for me where I grew up in that. Like I've watched the movie Hoosiers hundreds of times. I haven't a, a week before I, I came to present at your clinic. Um, I watched it for the first time in probably 15 years and I was still able to recite 80% of the lines as people were saying them. So, and I don't think I'm unusual no. my generation with basketball fans. I think we all have this connection to that movie and therefore that gym. And so as soon as I realized that you guys were doing a clinic there, I reached out to you just to say like, Hey, how can I be involved? And will you just let me take pictures? And you guys were fantastic. The attendance at the clinic was was great. And then add on top of that this this setting um, that is second to none for us, especially North Americans and and that movie. It was I hung out all day, yeah, uh, having forty five minute conversations with just different coaches who want to talk about shooting, not because I'm a nice guy although I hope I am it was <laughs> selfish on my part because I just wanted to be in that gym all day. Yeah. And, uh, and I've got the photographs and I've got like anybody who, who is a basketball person, number one, you get to go to those clinics and you get to learn from a lot of great uh, coaches. Uh, but then just to spend that day in that gym uh, and, and for me just going like, I can't believe I'm here. Yeah. Like, this is my childhood in this. Gym. Yeah. So it's a it special was, play place. And selfishly, I go the day before I used to play around the golf somewhere and I'll get there two hours on Friday and just with my buddy play horse, play 21. And then after the clinic, stay another 45 minutes. Uh, again, I'm like you, I, I love to stick around, hang out, talk to people, but I just want to spend every second in the gym. And, you know, most of the, the memorabilia is still there and the original bleachers and the floor and the, the people who run it. I love the game so much. And uh, it, it's a special place. And, and uh, well, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast and answering, you know, all the hard line questions I had for you. Um, but no, seriously, you're, you're great at what you do. I love following your social media. And again, in person, you were very kind uh, and cordial 
Um, and, you know, as the, it, maybe in the future we can connect again in the clinic. Chris Oliver was supposed to be at this year's clinic. And, you know, boy, I was really disappointed that this one, you know, kind of fell apart. But, you know, we're going to stay positive and we'll shoot for 2021. Perfect, Ed. And thank you so much for everything that you guys have done. Like, this is number one fun to, to chat with you. And if I can wrap up just in saying one thing that, that all everything that I've said, it's, it's not wrong, but it's not correct either. This is, it's only correct in when, when I'm, this is how I do it. Ultimately, if you get results with whatever you're teaching, if players get better then what you did was correct too. And so we don't need to all agree. Uh, we need to find ways to to help players. And and if if you're doing that, then then you were correct in in what you did. No, so, that's a great that's a great final like, thought. So yeah. I appreciate what you do, Coach. You're you're awesome, and uh, and I look forward to 2021 when we get to be back in the Hoosier gym again. Awesome, sounds good, Coach. Thank you. All right, you take care. Thanks for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review and also leave a comment about what you enjoyed most about today's guest. You may also use the hashtag UnitedPodcast to tweet out any tips that you learned from today's guest. I hope you'll join us on our next episode.